Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given on Sunday morning, September 19th, 2021 by Tom Job from the book of Romans chapter 4. So I've been doing a thing out of like Romans, Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4. And um, just because he has this thing that he says in chapter 12 that like if you believe if you really believe like everything that he had said as he kind of explained his basic message in the, in the letter to the Romans in chapter 12, it'd be like, if we really believe that it, it would, it makes us into these like amazing people that are just spiritually bubbly and loving everyone and joyful no matter what. So, and kind of why is that? And then, um, and then I'm done and then Lee's going to take it for a month, but I want to read. Um, okay. So. We're in chapter four, and it says, what shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? For if, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to brag about, but not before God. And what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, the wages aren't credited as a gift, but an obligation. However, to the one who doesn't work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly. Their faith is credited as righteousness. And David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed. So that word blessed, there's two words in the Greek language for blessed. And um, one means, I don't know, favored. But this is one that means happy. That's all it means. So happy. So happy that God won't count my sins against them. And so then it says, and back down in verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and became the father of many nations, just as it was said, so will your offspring be. Without weakening in faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He was about 100. And Sarah's womb was also dead, but he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, gave glory to God, fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. There was this, so I, I was listening to this thing. It was actually on NPR, on the radio. And it was a thing about, um, oh, I get that. It was a thing about, um, this is the movie that changed my life. And it was these people talking about the movie that changed my life. And I figured... Okay, I'll listen to that. And uh, I figured it would be, you know, Ikmar Bergman, the the seventh seal, or, oh, the movie that changed my life. It's in the Czech language, and you have to read the subtitles. But this woman said, this is the movie that changed my life. I watch it every year. Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. And so it was like, I thought, I've never seen it. So Tina and I, the other day, with the other night, we watched it. It's changed my life, like, so much. Like, that was the greatest movie ever. I, I just thought it was the most amazing movie that when a guy just learns, I'm stuck until I learn that you can't be a jerk, like, to, in an infinite variety of ways to people, and life is better, and you're not going to go forward 
into the next day until you're not a jerk, you know? And I just thought it was, it was so cool, the way he played the piano with those shades on and everything. There were actually, so I read an article about it. There were, there were actually 48 times that that clock went from 5.59 to 6 o'clock, and they played, um, you know, I Got You, Babe, because they were looking for a song that was super repetitive, you know, Sonny and Cher, because it's like a super repetitive thing. But there was a, um, but it's just, I just loved it, except that life, isn't always the simplest stuff like that. Like there's a place where Bill Murray is, um, he was driving this truck with the groundhog. He had like stolen the groundhog to try to get out of Groundhog's Day. And he was letting the groundhog drive the truck, you know? And and uh, it was so awesome to see this groundhog driving this truck. And the groundhog turned and bit him on the finger so hard that they had to go to the emergency room and he had to get rabies shots from it. And they probably had to get a new groundhog, but they, um, <laughs> but, um, and Bill Murray was getting a divorce when he was making that movie. And um, they were going to get Tom Hanks to be in it, but they said, no, Tom Hanks is too nice for this. We need somebody who, I mean, Bill Murray had a reputation for maybe sometimes, maybe kind of being a little bit of a jerk. And so, um, but it wasn't working, you know, in his own life. And I thought, hmm. You know, because my favorite movies are always that movie where, like, your life, you know, you have this life and you just kind of hate it. And then the only thing that changes is your attitude, like your perspective. And then you're like, it really, it is a wonderful life. You know, that you're having like this wonderful life just because you changed your attitude. You know, like kind of like Scrooge, you know, but, and then, but, but, you know, and I love that, except that I think, did it last, did it last Scrooge? Did it last longer than a week? I mean, it wasn't like he got saved or anything. You know, there wasn't like, you know, Jesus coming into his heart. The, you know, George Bailey, he said, when, you know, when uh, he gets to live again, you know, and he's going to, he's running through Bedford Falls and he knocks on Potter's window and he said, Merry Christmas, Potter, I'm going to jail, you know? And I thought, I wonder if he really, like if they hadn't collected all that and Sam Wainwright hadn't wired all that money and stuff, I wonder if he, if he had gone to jail would he still be feeling that way? Like, this really is a wonderful life. I love it here. Um, you know, so, if you could just, I mean, but there's just this thing, this kind of like an ideal, that if I could just change my attitude or just change my perspective about my life, I would see it in a completely different way. And I think it's all through the New Testament of just, you know, that if I could, um, if I really believe the stuff I believed, I would be like the most joyful person ever. Like Peter said, we believe in Jesus now and we rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. And yeah, yeah, mm, I, I can kind of squint and see that, you know, but if I don't always live there. Um, there's a place in Pilgrim's Progress that this a guy wrote in prison and about 1650, but he, about this person who was going from the city of destruction to the celestial city, and it's just like the journey that a Christian goes on, and he has this gigantic backpack on his back, and it's weighing him down so much, and he can barely make it because of it, but he climbs up a hill, and there's a cross on the hill, and when he looks at the cross, the straps of his backpack snap, and it rolls off his back down the hill into a grave, and it was gone, and it said that he gave three leaps for joy. And it's kind of that thing, you know, because I'm forgiven now. Like, I should be so, just three leaps for joy every day. 
it, I guess it doesn't always look like joy. Like there's a woman in John chapter 7 who was kind of, who, she was like a prostitute or something like that. And at some point she had been, had an encounter with Jesus and she was forgiven of all of that. And he took her dead away. And I have a suspicion, my personal suspicion is she could have been the woman in John chapter 8 who they dragged in front of Jesus in the temple in the morning. And it could have been that moment right there where she received it. But she came into a party she wasn't invited to and just started like, I guess you would call it joy, but it was, she started crying and just weeping, crying so much and snot everywhere and just like her tears and snot all over Jesus' feet and she just cleaned them with their, you know, and it's like, I guess guess that's joy when somebody's crying so hard, they have snot going all over people, but they, but, you know, I think it was probably something more like so thankful, so thankful for a new start and she just loved Jesus personally and it's kind of like if thankfulness and love for Jesus, get together and have a baby. The baby is joy, you know? And it's like super important in the movement of Jesus, like we're supposed to tell everybody about Jesus. And it would be easier for people to buy into it if the people who believed in him were like super joyful all the time, instead of sometimes they're just like grumpy and hateful and judgmental. And it's not, and you know, nobody's really going to go to somebody like that and say, you know, I've been wanting to be more hateful. Um, what is it? What's your secret? Like, do you have something I, I don't have? There's a place, a lot of it is in the gospel of Mark where Jesus does things for people. And, and then he tells them, don't talk about this. Don't tell anybody about it. And don't tell anybody about me. And people are like, why did Jesus do that? And it's like, Really? I know a lot of people, I wish they would stop talking about Jesus. Like, you know, people need to hear about Jesus, but not from that, that face, you know, just like, you're just too, too grumpy. But so anyway, um, so like in Romans, like, you know, Romans one and two and three, like where Paul's talking about, you know, how bad we really need Jesus and stuff. And then, and then going through chapter three and how to, I don't know what the, the the good news is, and if you if you get if you get that in your heart, the first thing you feel, according to chapter four, is happy. He just talks about the happiness of people who get this, like they're super happy. Um, if you go backwards a little bit, you kind of you know kind of the relationship between chapter three and chapter four. But if you go backwards. He just said, when you believe in Jesus, like you're justified. Um, You're completely forgiven in that instant of everything you've done, do or will do. You're classified among the righteous. That's what justified means. And you get a new start. You get a new heart. You get a place in God's family. You get a place in his home forever. And it's absolutely free. And the reason it's free is because if we're going to get it, that's the only way we can get it. It's going to have to be given to us because for us, we've been too bad and it's too late for us to do anything about how bad we've done, you know. And remember when Jesus was, when he died for us and there was a person who was nailed right beside Jesus. And... um, And he trusted in Jesus. 
And it was a gift. And he knew that it had to be a gift because he's like, I've been too bad. You're like, well, he was a thief. I mean, is that, I mean, that's bad, but. But actually, John said it was murder. They were, they were um, crucified there, the two on his side for, for murder. I mean, that's, you know. And he couldn't do anything about it. Like, he couldn't promise Jesus, if you'll accept me, I'll change. I mean, he didn't have any. He was nailed. I mean, he wasn't going to do anything else. He couldn't contribute anything else. He didn't have any time to change. His life was just dripping out. He couldn't give anything. He didn't have any money. He was naked. He didn't have any pockets. He didn't have any money. It was going to have to be to be free. And it's free. And then you have it. And you're classified among the righteous. And so somebody says, okay, so if all this comes from Jesus, what about people before him? Like, what about, what happens to those people who lived before Jesus did that? Like, what about you know, Moses and David and Abraham, as Hagrid would say, what about you, Law? Like, what about, what about all them? You know, those people. And Paul said, it's just the same. They got into the kingdom. They got into God's family. They got into heaven in the same way we did. I mean, they looked for, like, they believed in predictions about what Jesus would do. We believe in a narration about what Jesus did do, but it was the same. It was like, so, and he quotes this place. So Abraham, Abraham was this guy, like in chapter four. Let me give him as the greatest example ever of somebody who lived before Jesus. So Abraham was a guy who worshiped Nanu, the God of the moon, and in the cradle of civilization in Ur of the Chaldees. And God appeared to him and told him he wanted him to go to Canaan. It's like saying go from New York City to Dodge City, you know. So he did. And then one, one night, God took him outside. I mean, he was outside. And um, he said, look at the stars. And he said, that's what your seed will be like. And it said, and Abraham believed that. And he was justified. That was like the gospel to him. And you're like, what? I mean... He was 75. They, had, he was, they didn't have any kids. They weren't having kids. I mean, they couldn't have kids. And, God's, and it's like, is God telling me we're going to have so many kids? That, and they'll have kids. They'll have kids. It'll be like the stars in the sky. Like there's four, what, 400 billion stars in the Milky Way. And there's 400 billion of those. Is that it? Or did Abraham perceive something it's about Jesus in some way. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 that when God said that's how your seed will be, that Abraham understood he was talking about Jesus. 2,000 years before Jesus was even born. How Jesus is like a star, like stars. Stars, they're so much bigger than they seem. Like you see a star, sometimes you can look at a star, it's 19 quadrillion miles away, and it looks tiny. But they're humongous. And there, there's, a, there's a star in the galaxy, I can't remember if it's this way or that way, the next galaxy over, that its circumference is as big as the orbit of Jupiter, you know, but it looks tiny to us. And stars, and Jesus is bigger. Like when, when Jesus was asleep in a Judean field, you know, traveling around with his disciples, did they ever look at him under the Judean sky and think, he made all those stars? And he knows all their names. He's so much bigger than he seems. 
And stars do more than they seem to do. Like stars are this constant thermonuclear fusion. All the minerals in, on our planet come from them. And, you know, when, the, when, that th when that thief was dying next to another person who was, had been tortured naked and dying, and he called him, Lord, you're so much bigger than you seem. When you, and I believe you're buying the kingdom today. You're doing so much more than it seems. So, Abraham somehow believed that. And Jesus said, he rejoiced to see my day. Somehow he understood that intuitively. This is all about Jesus who's coming. I don't know his name, but he's coming. And I believe in him. And that's why I'm classified among the righteous. And Jesus said, he rejoiced to see my day and he was glad. He was, it's a word that means joyful. He was super joyful. He just had a lot of joy. And it's like, well, I, you know, believe like a lot more about Jesus than Abraham knew. And I'm, I wish I was more joyful. I get to the point that I should be. But, and some, so then he, so then he, in the second half of, of, Romans 4, he said, maybe your faith needs to be more like Abraham's faith. Like, he had this amazing faith. Um, you have enough faith to get into the kingdom, but maybe you don't have enough faith to be happy about it. And I do think it's kind of fair. You know, if I believe in a God, I believe that no matter what happens to me, if I'm going through a hard time, God loves me. I don't know why this is happening, but I'm not being punished because Jesus paid for all that. I believe that God's working out a plan. He's using this to make me into a person I couldn't be in any other way. God's my dad now. I can talk to him about any problem I'm having. And I'm going to heaven anyway. And so if I'm not, like, joyful, like if I'm full of anxiety or something, there may be a place where I should ask myself, what part of this do I not believe? You know what I mean? It's kind of fair. Like Jesus called his disciples when they had a lot of anxiety. He said, oh, ye of little faith, which in Greek, it's just one word. It means little faith. It was kind of a nickname. Oh, y'all little faith. Y'all just have just a little bitty faith. It's so little. But um, it's like what you believe is good. The word little is a Greek word that means seldom or short. And he's like, what you believe about me is true and right. You just need to believe it more often. You need to believe it now. Or you just need to believe it a little bit longer. And I guess that's fair to ask, but so Paul, but Paul said, so Abraham had this faith. He said he wasn't weak in his faith, but his faith, it was strong and he didn't waffle back and forth. He said he wasn't unwavering. It was steady and it wasn't wimpy. It was, he uses the word that means super powered. Like his faith was strong, steady and superpowered, whereas maybe my faith is weak, waffly, and wimp. I have a weak, wimp, waffle. That's like, that's what my faith is. And it's kind of like saying, um, like all you have to do to get into heaven, to get into the kingdom, is to believe. Believe you're a sinner. Believe you're a failure. But if my faith is weak and waffly and wimpy, it's kind of like you're saying, I'm kind of failing at failing. 
so if I'm struggling a little bit, um, I'm doing this thing at UT Hospital, and I work Friday from 4 p.m. to 8 a.m. Saturday morning. So uh, pray for me, because I'm, I'm, if I fall asleep right in the middle of this. But um, I remember a cartoon that showed the pastor, he had fallen asleep on the pulpit, and somebody in the congregation said, it's that part when he said, I'm not preaching to you all, I'm preaching to myself as well. And they, but they, uh, but, um, so let me tell you this. Abraham, in his journey to joy, his faith was not always strong, steady, and superpowered. For a long time, it was weak, waffly, and wimpy. Like when he first started believing the message, the kind of the promise about Jesus, whatever he understood about it, when he got to Canaan, there was a famine. And he, he said, we got to go to Egypt. We don't have enough food here. Why don't you just believe what you believe a little bit longer, that God's going to bless you? Why don't you believe it now? Well, he went to Egypt. So, and Sarah, she was 75, but somehow she was kind of, she was still, I guess, as young people say, hot. And that, like Dolly Parton, you know, she was 75, but she was still kind of that way. I mean, Dolly Parton, when she spoke at UT graduation, she said, kids, just what you should do is ask Ask yourself as you graduate, what will they say about me a hundred years from now? I hope they say about me, how she's still looking so good. But they, but so, but, and so they were, so Abraham said, if, if they, if anybody asks you, say you're my sister, not my wife, you know. So they started telling the Pharaoh, there's this hot woman she is like. And so they said to Abraham, he said, oh, she's my sister. She's my sister. Okay, we'll give you cat, some, they give you him cattle and sheep and slaves. And she went to the Pharaoh's house to be in his collection of women, and I think he did to her what he intended to do, until he got a message from God that, hey, no, not her, because that's his wife, and he's like, what's up there, man, but when you think about it, Abraham was enriched by sex trafficking his wife, and then he became a slave, a slave owner, I mean, people, southern pastors and theologians before the American Civil War, they were in trying to defend American Southern slavery. They said, well, Abraham was a slave owner. Yeah, Abraham was a pimp too, like to his own wife. And then, I mean, I guess I think that's what you call it. And then when they realized this baby's not coming, Sarah said, well, now we have a slave, a, a, a female slave. Um, why don't, she's my property. If she has a baby, it's my property. It's like, what kind of people are you? And they, and so she tells her, Yahweh, you know, we told you all about Yahweh. Well, he, well, I want you, you know, I want you to sleep with the old man. Why? Let's just say it's Yahweh's will. Just sleep with him. And then she says to Abraham, I want you to sleep with her. Okay. I like this. And then he's, he is a sex trafficker, a slave owner, a spiritual and sexual abuser. And he doesn't hear from God until he was 100 years old. And by this time, he had been too bad. And it's too late. He's not going to have, they're, like, they're not going to have a baby now. Like, God, the omnipotent, appeared to Abraham, the impotent. It's too late for that stuff. One guy said, you know you're old when everything hurts and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. You know? 
And God said, you all, after I've been so bad, yes. After it's too late for me now to do this, yes. You two are going to have a baby. And Abraham was like, at that point, because he had been too bad and because it was too late, he knew that if this was really going to happen, it was going to have to be the mercy. I mean, he didn't know how to say this, but it's going to have to be the mercy of Jesus. And it's going to be, Jesus is going to have to help me. And if I'm going to believe this at all, it's going to have to be a strong, steady faith. And he's going to have to superpower it because I don't have the power to do what he's talking about. That's my only choice. And that's when his faith got that way, after he had been so bad and after it was so late. And it worked. It says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham and Sarah had received power to conceive. The word conceive, the, it's a Greek, two Greek words. It's the word katabolin, which means to throw. And the, word, and the word seed, which is the word spermatos. So there you go, you know. He had to be empowered to do that. After I've become such a mess, after I have been such a mess, it's going to take Jesus loving a mess, and it's going to take Jesus helping a mess. And he had a strong, steady, super-powered faith in the fact that he was a weak, waffling wimp. But Jesus was just the one he needed. And he had joy from it. And he looked forward 2,000 years. And I look back 2,000 years and I say, sometimes I am. Sometimes I have a strong, steady, super powered faith that I am a weak, waffling wimp. You know that, you know that day that you yell at your kids and you told your, the, the way your dad yelled at you and you had told yourself, I will never do that. And you did it. You know, the day that you did something that you promised to God and to yourself, I will never do this again. And you did it. You know that day you have to ask Jesus to help you to get through something that for other people is not even a thing. But for you it is because you're, because, you know, I just feel like, I don't know, I'm weaker than other people. I'm a weak, helpless, needy mess sometimes. And the question I have is, is that okay? Am I the only one? You know, I heard somebody say yesterday, whenever you meet somebody new, you're not meeting the person, you're meeting their bodyguard. You're meeting the person that they send out to protect them against being known, against having to be real. But if I'm real sometimes, I just feel like, you know, I'm doing this thing, this hospital thing, and I'm scared in ways I haven't been scared of in a long time. Like, I have to go to something. Will I know what to do? Will I know what to say? When I go into this room, will I know, will I know how to talk to them? Will I know, what if they, say, what if, what if they, what if they have a, a, something I don't know the answer to? Jesus, I don't want to go into this room alone. 
I feel like a mess. Is it okay? I think this is the question I've had my whole life. And maybe it's a question and in some ways everybody has. Is it okay? Is it really okay for me to be me? To be who I really am? Sometimes a mess. Sometimes just a weak, helpless, needy mess. And Abraham's yelling across 4,000 years. Yes, bud. Yes. Because you have a savior who loves you and who will help you. If you, and that, and you know, and that's where joy comes from. Like, if you have to be strong all the time, if you have to be right all the time, if you have to be amazing, it's super hard because there's nobody in heaven that will help you with that. But if you're a mess, you got somebody who loves you and uh, someone who will help you. He's just waiting to help you get through that. And then you're thankful and then you love him and they get together and joy is born. I, there's, there's this woman, that, she's written a couple of books. I love her books. She was a big executive in Christian publishing, but she was a super bad alcoholic. You know, she was, it was un unbelievable how she lived that life she did until it all came apart and her life became unmanageable, you know, and she started going to these, to the AA and she met all these people and she said, they're so you know, nobody asks you, nobody cares what you wear, nobody cares who you voted for, nobody, they just care about each other and love each other, and she wondered why it's so different from church, and she said one day this Latino guy was uh, giving sharing, and he said, you know, my name is Hector, and I, there was a, at, at work, there, I used to go into the porta potty and um, smoke marijuana and, and drink whiskey, and then I knew it was take, it was going to ruin my life, and so I asked, I go in there now, every day, I look in the mirror, and I say, God, I can't drink anymore. I need you to help me. It's going to ruin my family. I'll lose my wife. I'll lose my kids. Help me to stop drinking today. And he does. And he said, that porta potty is a sanctuary to me. And she said, you know, I realized the difference was in church, like people have a set of beliefs about God. She said, I do. I could do a Bible study about pretty much everything. I had a set view of biblically based beliefs about God. And then we try to apply them to our to our life but those people had nothing they came the exact opposite way they had absolutely nothing but desperation and then they found in Jesus exactly the one that they needed and they love him and they cling to him she said this difference was for me staggering So if you're a mess, if you feel like a mess, welcome. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're the king of messes. Thank you that you're the king of weak people. You're the king of waffling wimps who just need you and have found exactly what we needed. We have a strong, steady, super-powered faith in our own weakness and our own wimpiness, and in the Savior, who is perfectly the one we need.
could we live without them? How do people live without them? I don't know how they do it. I'm glad we don't have it. You reached down for me. You took hold of me. Lord, you rescued me from my enemy. You reached down for me. You took hold of me. Lord, you rescued me from my enemy. From under deep waters, when I was too weak, in the day of disaster, you came for your